0: Which book is the best book on the life of Christ? The best. The Son of Ages. The first chapter. The first page, the first paragraph, the first sentence, how does it begin on the life of Christ? His name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. This is the sentence that that classical book begins. His name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. And if we ever needed God with us, brethren, today we need it. And I'm not speaking about us, ourselves. Uh, We do need, you know, in, in our dynasty or... The Botensky dynasty, we need him. But you need him too. (laughs) Believe me, you need him too just as much as we do. But do you know the second sentence? I know it's unfair. I prepared for this, so don't feel guilty, all right? But I like to emphasize because it is extremely important the first sentence his name shall be called Emmanuel God with us Isaiah 7:14 but the second sentence is just as important let me read it the light of the knowledge of the glory of God that's three genitives if if you love to dive into Grammar, you know. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. So what kind of a light? Knowing the character of the Father. Uh, You know, when The plan of redemption was first discussed in heaven, long before the incarnation. Jesus shared with the angels that he has to become man and live and die here. And when the angels heard this, they volunteered. No, no, you don't have to go, Jesus. We go. And you know what was his answer? I appreciate it. But you are not good enough. No offense, man. But the law of God as holy as the Father himself. Are you following me, brethren? The life of an angel was not good enough. God himself had to offer himself. And who could reveal the Father more properly than the Son who had been with the Father for eternity? There was no time when Jesus was not. You follow me? He's co-eternal, co-equal, and so on. So the light of the knowledge of the glory of God is seen in the face of Jesus. But there is another prophecy. Isaiah 53, we know it by heart. Isaiah 53, that the Jews shone in a void that they didn't want. To read it about the suffering Messiah. He shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. A root out of dry ground. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Well, I don't know. I grew up on the farm. I live now out on the farm again. So I almost become a farmer. There are some dry roots visible here and there. It's nothing attractive, nothing desirable. And Isaiah fifty three two says, yes, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire in him. You remember the story of Absalom a couple of months ago I preached about? I don't expect you to remember. Your memory is not as good, and neither is mine. <clears throat> I struggle with the failing memory and I sympathize with anybody who struggles with the same thing but you remember what the scripture said about Absalom Absalom had no blemish from the top of his head to the sole of his feet there was no blemish everybody praised him in Israel Everybody praised him. But if you remember his story, this outwardly perfect man was rotten inside. (coughs) (coughs) The light of the knowledge of the glory of God is seen in the face of Jesus. Only... He could reveal the Father to give us a revelation that we needed, but I hasten to add something. Our redemption was not the number one burden. I hope you don't feel offended. I like to get to heaven and I definitely hope to be there. But in God's divine plan, your salvation and my salvation was not the number one thing. It was only the second. Now what was the number one thing? For 4,000 years, from the fall of Aaron to the crucifixion of Christ, Lucifer had a free access back to the courts of heaven. You read the story of Job, you know, he was there. And do you know what he had been doing for 4,000 years when the sons of God came? As you read it in the story of Job. For 4,000 years, he has been blaming the law of God. Because nobody kept it. Nobody kept it. And if the law was faulty, then obviously the lawgiver had to be faulty. Are you with me so far or have I lost you already? <clears throat> The light of the knowledge of the glory of God is seen in the face of Jesus Christ, because his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. The scripture says the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace. Full of truth. He was a true light which gives light to every man who comes into the world. You remember the high priestly prayer of Jesus? I'm sure you do. I'm just helping you to remember shortly before his crucifixion in John 17 he said I have glorified you on earth I have finished the work which you have given me to do I have glorified your name you remember more than once the Jews picked up stones to stone him. And Jesus says, I have done many good works. Many, many good works among you. Of which of those will you stone me? Name me. And I am paraphrasing it. <clears throat> and the Jews said, what, you remember what their answer was? Oh, for a good work we stone you not. But being a man, you make yourself God. That's blasphemy. Now, brethren, what was his high priestly prayer? Father, I have glorified your name. The Jews said, no, you blaspheme his name. Now, brethren, there are many illustrations that could be brought, but i like to emphasize, especially in these last days, Correct theology is a salvation issue. Brethren, it's a very serious matter illustrated by the rejection of Jesus, by a Sabbath-keeping, kosher-eating, scripture-reading group of people who were Seventh-day Adventists. But they crucified the Lord because superficial understanding of present truth. This is heavy, this is heavy, but hey I am I come so seldom that I have to give you heavy food so that it will last until I come the next time. <laughs> <Yeah. clears throat> I have glorified you on earth, I have finished the work which you have given me to do, and now, O oh Father, glorify me with the glory which I had with you before the world was. <clears throat> Let's stop for a moment. You remember the incident when Jesus healed the young man who was born blind? Oh, a real controversy developed there. A real controversy. The Pharisees asked the boy, what do you say about him? Oh, he's a prophet. Now, that was a correct answer. Jesus was a prophet. He was a true prophet. He was The prophet. You remember Moses said. The Lord will send you a prophet like me. You listen to him. So he was the prophet. But of course. In a certain sense he was much more. He was. The creator. God himself in human flesh and they asked the boy over and over and over again, the boy says, why do you ask me? Do you want to be his disciples too? And they were really angry with him. No, you are his disciple. We are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as far as this man is concerned, we don't know where he is from. Do you sense the theological significance of this statement, brethren? A tremendous significance. Now, you and I, we may not know where we come from. Some of us don't know our grandparents. And in some cases, not even our parents. But Jesus prayed in his high priestly prayer, Father, glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the world was. Did he know where he come from? Brethren, was there a firm conviction in him? I, I like to hear a yes, you know. I know we are not in the Allegheny East Conference, but you still may say yes, all right? And not only where he came from, but he says, I know where I am going. Fantastic theological consequences compared to the ignorance of those Sadducees and Pharisees. Then he says, Father, glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the world was. And what was his response? You have to read the the entire chapter. I I don't have the time to analyze the entire chapter or you would be here too long, so I, I am merciful. But he said, Lord, Glorify me with the glory I had with you before the world. And the father responded, I have glorified your name, and I will glorify it again. Now you have to read the book of Revelation, of course, to get some of those pictures, but if you read Revelation 4 and 5, after the ascension, after the inauguration of Christ, after the assurance given to the heavenly host. Now, Lucifer was not allowed to enter the heavenly court at this time. From that day on, he was excluded. But all the sons of God, all the angels present there, creatures, His fantastic faces and eyes all over their body. You know, Ron, I'm getting old and I have to change my glasses. It's a bifocal and I don't see very well. And I'm thinking, Lord, if I could have a few perfect eyes, just a few, maybe a few on my fingertips But uh, forgive me, I don't want to joke about holy things, but I am just sensing my problem. But those in heaven had no problems. And the scripture says that every living being bowed down and confessed Singing, worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb to receive power, honor, glory, everything that can be given, he's worthy to receive. But for 4,000 years, he had been accused as a creator that he gave a wrong law, and therefore... It's not only the law, but the lawgiver gi- law is at fault. Do you follow me, brethren? Amen. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave you have given me. They have kept your word, John seventeen six. Let me read it again. Very important, theologically very important. I have manifested your name to the man you have given me. They have kept your word. Now, brethren, anybody who sees the light on the face of Jesus will be obedient glory and obedience are inseparable very important glory and obedience are inseparable and in these last days may I say brethren I repeat it again correct theology is more important than ever before You have to study for yourself. You have to study for yourself. And make sure that you understand what you believe. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are. The glory which is his character, He has given them. And our unity depends on that, brethren. Our unity depends on that. You read in Luke 2, 24 to 32. I'm not going to read the whole story. I just refresh your memory in Luke 2. You know, 40 days after the birth of Jesus, after the purification of a mother. They had to bring a sin offering and a burnt offering to offer the firstborn. Jesus was a firstborn. So Joseph and Mary went up to Jerusalem 40 days after the birth of Jesus to offer a sin offering and a burnt offering because they were conscientious true believers who followed the law of Moses which was still in effect and in let let me not deviate and try to separate which is in effect which isn't effect it's a serious issue brethren I cannot go into that topic now. So it went up. The scripture says that the priest took the baby, baby Jesus in his arm, according to the tradition, or as they usually do, and then presented the baby to God the Father, and his name was written in the church record. If it were Brooklyn, it would be in our church list. and then he handed the baby back to mary without any any realization that he had in his arm the creator of the universe no special feeling no special revelation, nothing. He did not recognize one of the greatest gifts that a priest could have, holding in his arm the creator of the universe. So Jesus was not recognized or almost. But there came in the church a God-fearing man, Simeon, led by the Spirit, understanding the prompting of the Spirit, went up to Mary, asked to hand over the baby, and strangely, Mary handed over the baby to a man she has never seen before. And this is a prayer that Simeon offered. Luke. 2.29.32 Lord now let your servant depart in peace according to your word for my eyes have seen the salvation which you have prepared before the face of the people a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of your people the glory of your people <coughs> <coughs> the holy spirit revealed to this man that he would not see death until he has seen the lord's anointed and he did see it he did recognize it and says now let me go in peace brethren the only way to depart in peace to die I almost said in plain Hungarian but you wouldn't understand Uh, the only proper way when you take Jesus in your arm when you have seen him as your personal Lord and Savior. That's the only way. <clears throat> the light of the knowledge of the glory of God is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Yet many looked at him as a root out of a dry ground. <clears throat> you remember at the crucifixion, Matthew 27, 54, The Roman centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus, not one person only. The Roman centurion, Matthew says, and those with him who were guarding Jesus said, truly, this was the Son of God. You remember after the fiasco when Israel built the golden calf and God was ready to destroy Israel and Moses pleaded. And here was his question. Please show me your glory. Please show me your glory. And God answered, Jesus answered, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And the scripture says, And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God is merciful, gracious, Long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but by no means clearing the guilty. That's his glory, too. <clears throat> How was his high Priestly prayer? I have manifested your name to the man you have given me out of the world and they have kept your word. They have kept your word. It is a salvation issue, brethren. It is a salvation issue to keep the word. No um, I like to share two stories with you. These two New Testament stories in the gospel are next to each other. I will be brief. I realize I have been up here for a half an hour and you have all afternoon, correct. In the same chapter, the first story begins with an attempted stoning. The second story ends with an an attempted stoning. Let's turn to John chapter 8. Briefly, I will be very brief. John 8. Verse 1, And Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, but early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down to teach them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery, And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery, the very act. Now Moses, in the law, commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? There is a significance in verse 6. Don't overlook it. This they said, testing him that they might have something on which to accuse him. They couldn't care less about the holiness of the law. They couldn't care less about transgression. They wanted to humiliate Jesus. They wanted to humiliate Jesus. But the scripture says that Jesus stood down, began to write on the ground, and when they insisted, he straightened up it, he says, He who among you is without a sin, let him cast the first stone And he stooped down again and continued to write on the ground. Listen to this. Verse 9. John 8 verse 9. And those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest. I'm almost the oldest here. And I'm not saying I am, but pretty close, I'm 82. And uh, you have the right to expect that an old man in the church lives according to the teachings of the church. Is that correct, brethren? Yes, yes. But it was not so. What did it say? Those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest. And Jesus was left alone alone. And the woman standing in the midst. Man, nobody had the courage to say, no, no, why do you accuse me? I am innocent. What are you blaming on me? I am innocent. But he was writing. And somehow, somehow, just consider it, brethren, consider it. Nobody, nobody questioned the truthfulness of his handwriting. Now, what is the issue here? Far more than appears on the surface. The real issue is a salvation issue. Uh, I have to repent. What did John the Baptist preach for years? Repent. And be converted. And many of them let it in on one side, out on the other side. Ignored the message of John the Baptist. So Jesus again confirmed the message of John the Baptist and said, hey, listen. You are in trouble. And they were convicted. But may I say, brethren, conviction is not conversion. Are you with me? Conviction is not conversion. Conversion comes only if I voluntarily submit to the light that the Lord sends. They did not submit. And Jesus wanted to teach them to see their first need. that they were sinners. They were sinners in need of redemption. And I am here Mm. for this very purpose. Not me, not Igor. I'm speaking about Jesus. I am here to save you. But I cannot save you unless you follow the line. And first repent. Mm. Repent of what? Repent of your sin. Briefly, the So, was his divinity proved? Of course, divinity was proved, convincingly proved. Because how did I start in my sermon? When a mighty angel said in heaven, I'm willing to go down and die for the sins of the world, the Father says, You are not good enough. Nobody is good enough except the Son. Except the Son. And the Jewish people had to realize what John says at the Jordan, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There is no other way. (coughs) Let's go to the second part of the story. Just briefly. Verse 12. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Not just any light. The light of life. It's a life and death matter. The Jews responded, "Um, your witness is not true because you bear witness of yourself. What was his response? Jesus said, verse 14, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true, for I know where I came from and I know where I am going. Brethren, extremely important. Extremely important. Besides, he says, the witness of two stands. The Father has witnessed. When did the Father witness for Jesus? At his baptism. A short time ago. When the Holy Spirit descended and the Father spoke from heaven, saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Of course, there was a witness on the Mount of Transfiguration, but that was a limited scope in the sense that only a few people. So, but at the baptism, multitudes. Um, Who are you? They asked Jesus, who are you? And he responds, verse 25, just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. Verse 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Oh, this was annoying then. We are Abraham's descendants, have never been in bondage to anyone. How do you say you will be made free? And here comes a clincher. He tried to prove what he did two days earlier. I am confident that many of the people who left the scene the day before, when they tried to stone that woman and they left, they were present here again. Verse 33, we are Abraham's descendants, have never been in bondage to anyone. How do you say we shall be made free? And Jesus says, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And the slave does not abide in the house forever, but the son abides, therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Amen. I, I want you to know that in these two stories, tremendous claims are made and tremendous proofs are listed to disprove that claim. Are you with me? It's not enough to make a big claim. <clears throat> I have been a Seventh day dentist for a long time. I was baptized in uh, 58 in Austria. 58, 57, 67. 60 years. How many years? 60 years. 60. Or 59. 59 or 60. Yeah. That's a long time, brother. I was a young man, single, no children. Now I'm an old man, married to an old woman. No offense meant, honey. But the Lord has been good to us. The Lord has been good to us. The Lord has been good to us. But, uh, I don't want to list all my falling, failing and oh, you could criticize me. Please don't do it, okay? <clears throat> but they said <clears throat> Abraham is our father. Later on they said God is our father. I mean, brethren, in a theological debate. You cannot make a bigger claim, a theologically more important claim that Abraham is my father and God is my father. That's an absolute claim. But Jesus denied both. If you were Abraham's children, you would do the work of Abraham. <clears throat> you tried to kill me. Because I speak the truth to you. That's another revelation of his divinity, his showing them their secret intention. Abraham didn't do that. And then he confirms his original claim. If God were your father, you would love me. Because I come from God. Then we are brothers. So Jesus denied. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. This was more than they could take. They said, are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead? And the prophets are dead. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Now, brethren, it is a very serious question that demands a trustworthy answer, I believe. Stay here because this doesn't come. Whom do you make yourself? ought to be it's a salvation issue it is a salvation issue and jesus says your father abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and he was glad and they said impossible that's impossible. Nonsense. You are not yet fifty. You have seen Abraham. And you remember that classical answer? Verily, verily I say to you, before Abraham was I am. And they picked up stones. To execute him because he gave them the revelation that the Father gave the Son. Jesus made it always clear that he does not speak his own words. The greatest revelation. It's still a salvation issue. But remember, glory and obedience are not separable. Remember that theological correctness is a salvation issue, especially in these days. So study the word. I try to bring you the truth. The best I know how, with my 82 years, with the gray hair and the failing memory and failing ear, failing eyes, and all all, all the problems old age brings on. But I sincerely try to present what I honestly believe is essential to our salvation. Study it for yourself. Love the Lord, but please remember, glory and obedience are not separable. May the Lord bless you. Amen.